This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Mark. So we are in week or no, episode, episode episode three of our promotion. <laughs> We're trying to get people to... Now, here's the thing. So supposedly I flutter my eyes when I when I talk, so I'm, gonna, I'm just trying not to do that. But You just did it. You just did it. I'm not stupid. So, you did it again. Oh my God, I can't do this. All right, I'm just going to close my eyes and, and do this. So yeah, you're I'm gonna, still fluttering. I'm going to do like Michael Jordan just doing this thing. All right, so we're, I can't do that. Okay. Matt, what, what's this promotion about? What are we doing? I can't even do this anymore. Yeah, we're doing it's a pro- eyelid surgery. Oh my gosh. <laughs> promo, we're in, uh, yeah, episode three of trying to push a promo. So if you... Share our content. If you like our page, if you tag us on Instagram, uh, rate us on iTunes, uh, mm-hmm. give us five stars, those kinds of things. Um, you are then entered to win some books mm-hmm. and some coffee mugs. Brand mm-hmm. spanking new. Yep. Yep. Faith and Fable. Coffee you, submit, mugs. you submitted the order? Uh, submitting the order. Tonight. <laughs> tonight. Yeah, no. We got Daddy War books in the house. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like our stuff, share our stuff, send her stuff in a message. Yeah. Is it only on iTunes or anywhere? Social media, any social media platform. Yeah, essentially so just like Google Plus. Uh, is that still a thing? Is that a thing? Uh, That's my I question. Think, I, I th- Google I, Play. Hey, do we have a Twitter account? I can. No. Te- technically, oh, we, technically, we have a Twitter account. Oh. Do we do anything with it? No. No. Oh, okay. So but we got Instagram though. We have Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. So you have to. But how can we quantify it though? You have to share. The content, sure. so we have to be able to count it. So yeah. if you, so when we, uh, when when we release an episode on Facebook, we create a little post uh, for the episode, and you have to share that, and that counts. So it's the episode itself. Yes, not some meme. Nope, not some quote. Nope, because that would just get crazy. Because like just the other day, I did one for like Vadi. I had like two hundred shares. I'm like, I entered two hundred people in this dumb thing. Yeah. So we got to do an actual episode where we get like four <laughs> shares to. to so it's place. a dumb thing that you do. <laughs> No, it's not dumb. It's just like that's a lot of people to enter into a into a. So, drum. is this limited to North America or worldwide? This is worldwide. We'll we'll figure out the shipping <laughs> somehow. Somehow, somehow. All right, we'll, commu- we'll we'll communicate with you and figure out the details when well, we if, got if some you get, faithful listeners in Ghana. In Ghana, we do. Yes, and the Philippines too. Philippines, New one Zealand, thing. Zealand, Ghana, Australia, all over Europe. France, Portugal, yeah, Spain, UK. UK. Yep. Did we finally America. get one in the South American continent? Russia. Uh, no, just no Mexico. South America. Mexico yet. and Honduras. Uh, Mexico. This week. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, we're breaking into the uh-huh. Central American. World. We got we to awesome. mention our brothers and sisters up north, though. They don't count. Canada is holding strong. Well, yeah, but they... brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Using that term kind of loose there. Right? I, so here's the thing. I used to make fun of Canada. I, I, I don't know why I made fun of Canada. I, made, I just didn't. I was stupid. I was ignorant. And then I went to Canada, and it's amazing. The you people went to Vancouver. Are, well, yeah, the people. Are, yeah, I know, but the people are so nice, and it's just a great. I thought they were nice. country. Yeah, I got Super to be good nice. friends playing uh, Starcraft. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> 
they're super nice. And that, why are you laughing? <laughs> that was know. a fun game. And that, I had friends around the world, and two of them were in Toronto, and I went and visited one of them and his wife, oh, and then nice. they came down to Chicago, and then we took them out. And uh, oh, good that's friends. a real relationship. What was your, uh, what was, yeah. what was yeah. your CPM? CPM. Your clicks per minute. Oh, back in that day, it was 150. Now it's like one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I pop an Advil. I don't know anything about this. <laughs> pop an Advil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My so. son keeps bugging me. Come on, Dad, log in. I'm like, no. <laughs> so anyways, so, we'll, have to, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out all the logistics of shipping and everything, but just share it. Write us a review on iTunes, though. Anything. Just a sentence. Just write us a review Say on iTunes. Say it's swell. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Scintillating. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, so what I are we talking? What uh? What, what are we talking about today? Yeah, everyone's tuning us up. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm not sharing this thing. <laughs> okay. So what yeah, are we talking? Well, what they have to because we're going to finish banter. up. It's just, it's just fumbling. <laughs> <laughs> Faith and fable fumbling. Oh my gosh. We uh, are all tired, basically, yeah, yeah. and it's humid. I don't like humidity. But that's life and no one cares. We're going to talk about God, <laughs> specifically God as Father. Yeah, something that matters. Good. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of a fun one because we're going to go into another aspect of the doctrine of the Trinity. We dealt with various uh, sides seeing the fact that God is clearly stated as one in the Bible, but he also is described uh, in, in fact, he even describes himself in a plural manner. And we looked at those passages. We we saw a lot of passages where it was clearly, especially as a progress of revelation, we saw it moving toward the per, three persons. And then we actually started seeing them explicated as a father, the son, and the spirit. And so now what we want to do is break down that a little bit more by talking about each person of the Trinity. And tonight it'll be the Father, yeah. and then we'll do the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And then we'll wrap the whole thing up with how they function, Yeah. which the fancy word is the economic Trinity. Yeah. So we're doing right now the kind of the ontology. Well, well not, there's kind of some overlap here, huh? Sort of, because the fatherhood of God, we're not really going to prove that God the Father is God because everyone, no one, yeah. no one, to my knowledge, except for an atheist, uh, <laughs> argues that he's not yeah. God. Yeah. But so we're but we're going to talk about the fact that the Bible does describe him as God, and the idea of the doctrine of the fatherhood of God is is kind of cool. So hopefully it will be an encouragement to people. Yeah. So so as you stated though, um, most people accept the deity of the Father. Right. Um, in fact, most of the time that God is mentioned in the Bible, most people will just read into that God as right. Father. Uh, but what we want to talk about is, well, we're going to be talking about over the next few episodes, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it refers to Jesus. Sometimes it refers to the Spirit. Other times it's just referring to the Godhead in general in broad terms. That's actually a very important point because especially in the Old Testament, it's not clear. And you should not just simply assume that it's the Father. Yeah. So we want to talk about the fatherhood in this one. And, you know, there's a lot of richness associated with God as Father. Um, and a lot of times that's lost on people. Um, in fact, one of the points that we always make is that with the rise of the gospel center movement, there's this tendency really just to emphasize Jesus so much that the Father in many ways is lost on us. Mm. Um, it, but in, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10 through 11, uh, we actually see a biblical pattern emerge for how we should think about the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Um, it states that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the key point, uh, the key prepositional phrase, to the glory of God the Father. That's the end purpose. The highest of, goal. Of yeah. the exaltation of Jesus. The end goal of the exaltation of Jesus is not Jesus. It's to the praise of the Father. The Father. And yet, I would encourage listeners, when you hear people quote that passage, pay attention to how often they stop at Jesus, that that he is the highest name, and then they put a period there, and it's like, no, it's not It's not a period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... We would agree you can't ever make too much of Jesus Christ. You can't make too much of any of the Trinity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but um, if we are properly making much of Christ, um, it'll always lead us to making much of the Father. So so say that again, because that, I think people just gloss over that. If you're making, or I'll just say it, if you're making a lot of Jesus, then it will be evident because you're making a lot of the Father. And if you're not, then... If you're not ultimately taking that and moving to God himself, the Father, then you're missing it. Yeah, but you can't separate them because, as Paul would say, Christ in him crucified is the glory of the Father. Yeah, and there's some really fun passages. Talk. uh, We won't go down that path. (laughs) But but all that to say is it's the purpose of Jesus to reveal the Father. Uh, And so if you're not seeing God the Father as you're considering Jesus Christ, then something is is wrong or missing or falling short in how you're you're considering Jesus Christ. And and so this is also one of the aspects of what's wrong with the Christ-centered movement or Christ-centered hermeneutic, as it's often referred to. They they often seek to see Christ in every passage or make it about Jesus in some way. Um, But in reality, Christ is always pointing us past himself in some way to the Father. So we should really be asking, even if you want to say, well, I want to see how is Christ reflecting in this passage, however you want to word it. That's great. But then if you want to really be faithful, say, how is Christ being reflected in this passage? And in what way is he reflecting the Father? Because mm-hmm. that's his goal. And, and that's that rub that uh, I hope people who are very strong on that Christ-centered hermeneutic, that they'll at least just stop for a second and think about that, that his purpose is to reveal the Father, always. Yeah. Um, never does, I mean, even his earthly ministry, he did not come to do his own will, but the yeah. will of the Father mm-hmm. who sent him. I can do nothing on my own, but only that which, which the Father wills. I mean, it's over and over again. I call uh, chapter five of John, the father-son talk. And it, it really is strong there where um, he's just showing that intimate relationship of the father and the son. Yeah. So, so we do see that, though, with, with the Christ-centered hermeneutic. Also, uh, with many charismatic or Pentecostal circles, um, they obviously tend to emphasize in big ways the spirit. Um, now, the father and the son are part of their time of worship, um, and so they'll talk about the father and the son. But it's really the spirit who almost always moves into the forefront of what they're doing and then therefore what they're worshiping or seeking after or trying to exalt in some way. But the biblical norm is that the spirit reveals to us the son and the Father, with the Father being the one in the forefront. Then on the other side of that will be the Reformed, in the Reformed camp of which we find ourselves, um, there tends to be that very strong desire to emphasize his sovereignty in all things, uh, that he is all-powerful. But again, though that's very true, as a result of it, the fatherhood of God can recede into the background. And that's that's a shame. And so you almost find people with, you know, almost, you actually do. You find people timid to approach God because um, what's 
foremost in their mind is how immense and powerful and sovereign he is. Yeah. And yet he bids us to come to him as children. Yeah. Um, and so Jesus says, no, we cry out to him as Abba, Father. Yeah. Or, um, and so we're just going to take people through various passages that talk about uh, God being sovereign, in, and specifically in John 6, but but notice that Jesus doesn't say the sovereign fearsome God, yeah. uh, but he couches that sovereignty as Father. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of good because you were just joking about playing that game in the pool with your kids and you're like the daddy alligator, right? And your youngest daughter is the baby alligator. Oh, yeah, the baby And, and the other baby kids alligator. are trying to attack the baby alligator, and, of course, you're just hurling them off and having a great old time. Yep. And it's, in other words, it's really nice to be the baby alligator. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? It's a plane. <laughs> That's a low-flying plane right there. Sounds like uh, Star Wars. It's like not a one message from on high. Empire. Right? Say no. Um, empire ships. <laughs> yeah, it's very low. Well, but back to the point is by having yeah, you so strong, she's safe. And yeah. so instead of looking at you as something to fear, she's actually happy that she has a strong dad and she's going to be kept safe from those evil big sisters and brothers who are coming after her. That's right. The point I'm just making right. is Jesus is painting the Father clearly as sovereign. So he, said, he says in John six thirty seven that all that the Father gives me shall come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. It is the Father who is giving us to his Son to save. Um, Another one is, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him on the last day. Or in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then finally in verse 65, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. So an intensely sovereign passage. Right. But it's also intensely personal. Yeah. So, is God sovereign? The answer is yes. Uh, do we, or are we able to force our will upon Him? No. Um, but all these passages are, are speaking of Him as, as the sovereign God. And it, I mean, John six is that, that kind of go-to chapter of, yeah. of God as sovereign. But they're also calling Him Father, as you say. Also in First John three one, uh, it states, "See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us." that we should be called children of God. So that's a very pastoral passage, and it's written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of John. And so the same Father who has is the one who draws you or has willed that you will come is also the same Father who then says, you are my child. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's a sovereign action too. You don't worm your way in. Um, God sovereignly, graciously, lovingly places you into the family and you become now an adopted child. And so I can call myself his child. Yeah. And, and that's an intimate term. Yeah. Now, one of the reasons that we come to know God as Father um, in a very explicit way is because this is how Jesus knew him and then related to him and then therefore revealed him to us. Uh, and so over 256 times God is called Father just in the New Testament. Um, Christ spoke of his equality with God because he called him Father. So there's that equality, John 5, 18. Right. Um, and we must also remember that the entire work and ministry of Jesus on earth was in relationship to God as father, but also that therefore he is son. Um, he's never this kind of slave or master um, thing going on. So he always referred to him and referenced him and related to him as his father. 
the New Testament clearly defines God as Father. Uh, the Old Testament is not as clear on that, and yet there's still plenty of passages. Um, sometimes you have to look a little bit more carefully when you look at it, though. So, like, the choosing of Abraham out of idolatry would be an example. In John 12, God comes to Abraham. At that point, he's Abram. Um, and then from that point onward, the whole focus of the Old Testament is essentially on the nation that's raised up by God. This nation is the offspring of, obviously, Abraham. And the Bible describes Israel as his son. And so in Hosea 11.1, 1, it says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, this gets into that idea of reference, and someday we'll deal with that maybe in a little bit more detail. But the idea is that in the Old Testament, there are many passages that can have multiple reference. Um, there's one meaning, but there's, it can refer to more than one person or thing. And this is one of those examples. So the first that's most obvious is Jesus Christ, because in Matthew 2.15, that's quoted as being fulfilled. And, and there, Jesus is that son. Um, but the historical fact of that passage as well is true, and we ought not to throw it out. Um, the bringing out of Israel was an act of the loving father to his son, the nation Israel. And so the very fact that Jesus nullifies or uses this as well doesn't nullify the fact that it refers to Israel. Uh, how about the Isaiah passage? Yeah, in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, uh, it says this, Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows his owner, and a donkey its master's manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned away from Him. So in this one, obviously it's the prophet Isaiah speaking, but he's speaking out against Israel. And as a good prophet, he's speaking on behalf of God. He's his mouthpiece. Um, and so here we see, we see really through Isaiah, the pain of a father toward rebellious children. Right. Um, again, he's using the language of son. It's speaking of, of some kind of intimacy or relationship happening there. And if you've never experienced the pain of a rebellious child, you may not really get how, how uh, emotional that passage is. But mm. uh, here it is, the father looking at his son, Israel, that he places love, made a covenant with them, and he's watching them just rebel in every step of the way. Mm -hmm. And then you'll, you'll hear that same emotion in Jeremiah 3.22, where he says, Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. And so here we see that repenting of, of Israel eventually, where God is bidding them as their father, come. You're, you're, you're my sons. Come to me. Um, so very important. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how this works itself out in, in sure. the scriptures. Um, so God God is called Father. He's referred to as Father. He's um, seen as Father. Uh, so the question is, so what? Right. How does that work itself out? Um, so the first one is, it, it's a title, but it speaks to a relational orientation toward all people. Um, there, there's actually a relationship here um, between God and all of humanity. It says in Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so there's a special sense in which God is Father to Everyone. those who are, are His children, oh, well, in a salvific sense. 
Um, but he's also father over all people who have ever been created. Um, right. And so th that's the way it works itself out in this case. What's another one? Another one then, I think we have seven. Uh, the second one would, then would be that he is a caring and merciful father. Um, and this this is, again, maybe not something that impacts you if you've had a very happy family or this or that. But Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says this, that God is a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. Is God in his is God in his holy habitation? God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in the parched land. So again, here's this imagery of God and having a unique fatherly care for those who are without a father, those who are are in the most vulnerable positions. And that's something you can appeal to a person with. Um, uh, as a jail chaplain years ago, that's something that really impacted some of the men as I would talk to them about because they didn't know what a father was. I mean, yeah. their right. idea of a father was this violent, vile individual who may or may not even be in their life. Um, and to hear of God as father, um, at first they would kind of recoil, but, but you could see it soften as you talk to them about what that really meant. Um, and then there's uh, a third one. Yeah, in 2 Samuel 7, 14 and 15, we see, as we already talked about, that God is father to even rebellious children. Um, and so speaking of David here, he says, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me when he commits iniquity. I will correct him with a rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul whom I removed before you. Of course, this is speaking of his coming kingship and whatnot. But here, even in the midst of his, his rebellion, God still functions as father. And, and that harkens into Hebrews 12, where he says that the mm -hmm. reason he disciplines yeah. us is because we're his children. Right. And so one of those marks of encouragement to you is the fact that if you are his and you are a follower of Christ, then you are part of the family. And as a result, God will discipline you. The father disciplines you because he loves you. Um, and that, again, can be a point of encouragement, even when it hurts. Yeah. Uh, so as a result of all that, a, a fourth one is rather obvious, but it needs to be said. We can approach him as father. Uh, so Jesus himself says to us, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just that's how we start out. You, you, you come to him and not as God Almighty, not as God all sovereign and fearsome. All those are true, but you just come to him as your father. All those other things are true, but, but your relationship to him is radically different than of a rebellious, unregenerate enemy of his. Right. You're mm -hmm. his son, your yeah. daughter. Uh, fifth, um, we should understand him as, as a father who gives gifts. Uh, he gives to us as a father. In James 1 and verse 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift, gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting of shadow. So any good thing that you have ultimately is the result of God who is not only a loving God, but a loving God as Father. Um, and then along with that then will be that he is merciful and forgives us like a father. So in Luke 6:36, we are commanded by Jesus, be merciful just as your father is merciful. So every time you think I'm going to withhold that mercy towards somebody, yeah. you're to reflect on what is the level of mercy my father in heaven has shown me. And well, 
you need to get... clears things up. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of <laughs> takes away any of your rationale. It's not really that bad, I guess. But, but it, it really is good for your soul when you can take some time and just think about where you were and what you what you are now in Christ. And in fact, I was at a cabin the other last few days with my two grandsons and my my son. And one of the, my grandson, it was bedtime, we were just talking, and he's like, so dad, who told you about God? And he said, well, your grandpa. And he said, well, grandpa, who told you about God? And I said, well, my father. And he said, did his father tell him? I said, no. I said, my father was the very first one in our family to become a Christian. And I said, but because of that, he taught me about Jesus and I became a Christian. And I said, and as a result of that, I taught my son. I said, now what's he doing to you guys? He says, well, he's teaching us about God. I said, that's right. And I said, all of that is because God has been very kind to us and he has forgiven us. And that's what you want to do. You want to trust in God. And that was a, just kind of a nice little heartwarming moment of him realizing there's something bigger going on here than yeah. just you need to obey or this or yeah. that. There's the mercy of God in a whole line of people. The heritage, yeah. Yeah, there's a point where there was not a Christian, and then God said no. Interrupted that. Yeah. yeah. What, a, what a great interruption. Yeah. And, you know, I talked to him about how my wife was first-generation Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's teaching her daughters. Mm-hmm. And, and then we talked about how her mom or his mom, mm-hmm. Matt's son, first gen, yeah. is first generation too. And again, these are just acts of mercy. And so every time you can reflect on that, it will, it will soften your heart again uh, when, when you allow the pride or the bitterness of just yeah. living in a fallen world. Yeah. Um, and then so all those things we mentioned are all the result of... This final one, which is that he as a father makes us his children. Um, we already read it, but in 1 John 3, 1, he says, See how great the love of the father has bestowed on us. And this is how that love worked itself out, that he would, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it does not know him. And so there are certain people that know God because God knows them and them alone. And it's the result of his loving father who, in a very real sense, adopts us and saves us and makes us his children. Another one would be Galatians 4, 4 through 9. He says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at this time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and the worthless element things to which you're, you desire to be enslaved all over again? And so obviously he's writing into a, an issue here where they're wanting to revert back, and he simply reminds them of their adoption as sons and daughters and how quick they're prone to, to want to abandon that. It's also a Trinitarian passage because he says, God, speaking there of the Father, sent forth the Spirit, of his son into our hearts. Yeah. So we have the spirit, the son, and, and the father doing all this work. And it's from that relationship with the triune God that we are then being rebuked, those who are starting to depart from the faith and, and yeah. look to other things. Yeah. So 
all that to bring, uh, bring, try to wrap it up is that Trinity, the Trinity is not something we should just know in abstract. It's not a theological concept that we think about and just leave it alone. Um, because whether you know it or not, you are uh, intimately involved in a Trinitarian life if you're a Christian. Because you're fully encompassed by the presence of the love of the Holy Trinity. The Triune God began a good work in you. Not just the Father, not just Son or the Spirit. The Triune God has begun a good work and he will complete it. And as a result of that, you live as a Christian a life blessed because of that Triune God. Yeah. So just working this out, and and these are just kind of some random things, but working this out, for instance, in prayer. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Yeah, so... So, for instance, when you pray, you pray to the Father. Um, I had a professor at Trinity who would open up class with prayer and always begin by saying, Father, Son, and Spirit, we come to you. Which is, in one mm-hmm. sense, I get what they're doing, or they were doing. It's fine. But that's not the model given to us no, in the yeah. Scriptures. Jesus is very clear <laughs> yeah. what the model is. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father. Yeah. Um, so, but when you pray you pray in a very Trinitarian way. That's both in its right. content, but also just in the reality of what you're doing. So you pray as a result of Jesus being your sin bearer and high priest. Mm-hmm. Um, because of his death, you be- become a child of God. And so now you have access to the Father. Um, and then on top of that, your prayers are heard because his spirit prays on your behalf through his, his life-giving work um, of making you alive in Jesus. And so you pray to the Father by mediation of the Son in the power of the Spirit. Right. And, and at church, at our church, Missio Dei Fellowship, we require them, if they're going to do the, the scripture reading and the prayer part of our service, they have to pray in a Trinitarian way. And I think that's probably the first thing that most of the people who are learning struggle with because they're not used to thinking that way. And so I make them send me their prayers because I make them write them out. And then I... I point out it's not Trinitarian or you've mixed up the roles oh, yeah, and yeah. somehow sure. you got the spirit doing what the son did. Or, and it's all, it's just stuff they have to learn. But I, I've never found one of them, once they f- get used to it, not love it because yeah. it, it really does enlarge their minds to how they are seeing that God as a triune God is at work. And now we're praying for God's blessing in this time as corporate worship um, by our tr- triune God. Then there's a a final way, and and we mentioned this one in our last podcast. Um, In 1 Corinthians 12, in the giving of the gifts, it's it's stated in a Trinitarian way. So it talks about that the Spirit gives us gifts to serve one another. So that's the Spirit dispensing them, um, and He does as He wills. Uh, But it's also then Jesus who actually gives us the ministries in which we use those gifts. And that that gets missed a lot of time by people. So the Spirit's giving you the gift, but then the the Son is giving you the ministry in which to use the gift. And then the final thing is the Father who works in and through the gifts and ministries to bring about His effects. And so that's, to me, that's so cool because why do I have this ministry? The Son gave it to me. And how am I working it out? With the gift the Spirit gave me. And what are the things being accomplished? Whatever the Father wills. Yeah. And I'm like, that's that's cool. I can work with that. Yeah. Um, I got the triune God working on my behalf to accomplish His sovereign will. Um, that's pretty humbling. So that that's the fatherhood of God. Again, we're not trying to prove that God the Father is God because I don't think anyone debates that. Um, 
but next next time we'll we'll deal with the sun because that's always a debated issue in some people's mind that the sun is also God. Mm-hmm.